0: Hello and welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm Jim and I'm alone. (laughs) John is on a little getaway with his bride for their two-year anniversary. And so I'm doing this episode alone. This is episode 67, and we're going to talk about three questions that we have to get right in order to change the world. I believe that the current climate has positioned Christians and the church prophetically and powerfully to be able to be more impactful in our culture than ever before. But to do so, we have to get three questions right in the way we answer them. Uh, John and I do a little thing um, for Evergreen Christian Community called T-7. They are YouTube videos that are truth in under seven minutes, and we addressed these three questions in a very brief manner on an episode of T-7 that will be coming out soon or might have just come out. So you can always check that out. You can go to YouTube and search for Evergreen Christian Community, and on their channel you can see not only that one but all the T-7s we've done there. But uh, we're going to talk about these three questions in a little more uh, deep way. And I think that this will be a mind-bender, uh, maybe confrontational, maybe um, controversial discussion. So stay tuned. And uh, first, it's story time. And I want to tell you the story of when I bought my Jeep Wrangler. So I have a 2012 black two-door jeep wrangler that i bought um, new year's eve uh, 2019 and um, i was so eager we'd been shopping for a jeep sue and i had talked about getting a quad or a razor or something to go play in and we realized it would be better to have a an older jeep and play in that uh, because it's more versatile and we could do lots of things with it so i had been shopping older jeeps Got some counsel from my son, Tim, who's a mechanic, and uh, was uh, had eliminated 2007 through 11, so it needed to be 2006 or older or 2012 and newer. And I stumbled into this 2012 Jeep at a dealership in Olympia, and I broke uh, two rules from my friend Ken Rice. Now, Ken's dad taught him lots of principles for living. And and two of the rules when you shop for a car is never shop for a car at night and never shop for a car in the rain. And um, I had violated those standards for this purchase. It was lots of rain when I bought this Jeep and I did the deal at night in the dark. And I discovered in the sunny daylight of my first sunny day of ownership why his dad had that rule. The fenders on this Jeep had faded to a kind of a dull gray, and you'll see this in a lot of older Jeeps where the fenders are this dull faded gray, and in the rain they looked black, and at night they looked black. I had no idea how faded they were, but they were really, really faded, so I did some homework, and I stumbled into Uh, a technique that I will tell you about on how to fix if you have faded gray fenders on a Jeep Wrangler absolutely costs you nothing but your time Uh, you do need to have a heat gun a hair dryer they say will work but a heat gun is a really cheap purchase I actually already had one I think they're like 15 bucks they're not expensive so the deal is you just uh, very slowly and at close range Go over every inch of the fenders with this heat gun like it was uh, uh, spraying paint almost. And you watch the plastic transform before your very eyes. It's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. And uh, I ended up using it on both bumpers. It did those. It brought the black back to those colors as well. And so on our Instagram, uh, when this episode drops, I will put a picture of the uh, fenders in process. You can see how gray they were and how black they became. In a matter of about two hours of just meticulously heat gun going through, might might not have even taken two hours, might be just one hour, but um, there you go. So if you have a Jeep Wrangler, well, first of all, don't ever buy a used car in the rain or at night. Um, Make sure it's dry, make sure it's daylight so you can see everything, find any leaks, whatever. This Jeep also had a tear in the driver's seat seam that I had not seen as well. Anyway, I love my Jeep. I'm thrilled to have it. It's serving me well. There you go. All right. So uh, it is my belief that this current crazy, crazy world um, has set the table for Christians and churches to absolutely be more powerful than ever before. The problem is it's a disruptive table setting. Um, I don't have to tell you again all the things that are going on, but but the, I, I fall in love with this this idea of VUCA environments. It's a military term, I think, and it means that the environment is completely VUCA. That is an acronym for high volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. What that means is that the world is so chaotic. The environment that you're trying to function in or lead in is so chaotic that the volatility factor is very high. It seems almost uh, unpredictably volatile. It is uncertain. You cannot have certainty. The ability to predict anything, and, you know, like right now, long-range planning is about two weeks because of the uncertainty of things. Complexity, meaning that there are lots of factors that are contributing to the disruptive environment, and so it's not easy to parse out or uh, analyze. And then the ambiguity that it becomes, it becomes difficult to have any, any real clarity. So that's the environment we're in from the pandemic, from governmental control over our lives. Um, I continue to mention tongue-in-cheek, but very frustrated by the fact that all of our governors have become benevolent dictators that do not require the three branches of government to operate. They're ignoring the legislative branches and judicial branches of their states to benevolently dictate over their citizens for their own good, which is not an American concept. So it's hard for us to embrace even when they're right. And you could argue sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't. Uh, by the way, I would hate to be a governor or a president right now. The pressure and the difficulty of those leadership roles is exponential. Uh, the also two, two other factors that are driving me crazy is one that everything is political, Um, if you decide you want to wear a mask, you made a political statement. If you decide not to wear a mask, they put you in a political party. If you, whatever you believe about schools gathering in classrooms or not, what you believe about churches gathering, what you believe about going to concerts or having, uh, tickets available to go to a sporting event, um, almost any subject, black lives matter, uh, supporting police officers, defunding the police. You pick any issue and your uh, opinion on any one issue puts you in a political box and everything's politicized. It drives me absolutely insane and it causes us to be unable or incapable of legitimate discussion about really important issues because the concept of nuance has flown out the window. Everything's black, white, really red, blue, liberal, conservative, and nuance is gone and yet nuance is so important. For example, well, one last one is the cancel culture. You know, if you made a statement, it doesn't matter how many years, and I hear pastors saying this right now, people are leaving their church because they opened the doors and tried to have public gatherings, or they're leaving their church because they refused to open the doors. And these pastors are saying, you know what, I have been your pastor for 10 years you have trusted me. I have been there with you. I have hugged your kids. I have, I have dedicated your babies. I've married your sons and daughters. I've visited you in the hospital. I buried your dead. I have been sharing Jesus with you for 10 years. And now because I make one decision to open the church or to not open the church, you're leaving me. Uh, it's part of the cancel culture. Uh, to me, the best example of this is John Wayne Airport in California. Because of something John Wayne said in 1957, in a matter of three days, the city council renamed John Wayne Airport. I don't even know what they named it now, but it's it's just over the top, this cancel culture, that if you did one thing wrong, every good thing you've ever done is gone too. And every memory of you needs to be erased. And if you had a statue, it needs to be torn down, and you cannot be affirmed in any way. That All of that together creates this crazy, crazy time that we're in. And what it does is it positions Christians who will be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and churches who will commit themselves to the mission of Jesus carried out in the way of Jesus being the community of the body of Jesus, man, what a prime time for us to bring stability, clarity, and vision to the world. So we have this unprecedented opportunity. I know we hear the word unprecedented all the time, but we have this incredible moment right now in our lifetime, greatest moment in my lifetime, where Christians and churches have the opportunity to speak prophetically to our Land to the people around us, and actually reframe the conversations and help people find their way redemptively forward. So, uh, there's some current realities that are that are going on in the church that are also, I think, God is using this season to accomplish. I'm going to offend you, perhaps here, but um, I think consumer Christianity is going the way of the dodo bird, and. Already, researchers, um, analysts say that one-third of all church attenders are no longer church attenders. When the church pivoted to a digital platform and they didn't have the cool lights and the great environment and the lattes and the Disney World for the kids, when the, uh, when the consumer experience of church went away, so did one-third of the attenders. I don't have any reason to doubt that research. I have not gone deep to analyze it. The prediction is that they are gone and are not going to come back. I do believe, as I anecdotally talk to people uh, around me, that, um, that I could easily see where a third of church attenders are not watching online. They're not watching it in real time. They're not watching it later to catch up. They're not keeping up with the life of their church. They are moving on. And, um, so I think consumer Christianity is going away, but I also think there's another form of Christianity that God wants to get rid of. And it is what I would call, sorry, if this offends you, the suck titty baby Christian. This is the Christian who uh, demands that the church part the hairs on their mustache and insert the bottle in their mouth and feed them the milk of God's word so that they can be nurtured and nourished, even though they've been a believer for decades. Um, the, as you see, Christians believe that everything is about these weekend gatherings. I need to have my gatherings. I need to have my pastor, uh, speak to me and look me in the eye. I need to hug people's necks. I need the church to care for me and take care of me. And I'm, I'm being a little, uh, intense here, but, um, Christianity was never intended to make you codependent on clergy or churches or events or experiences. The faith is designed to empower you and equip you to be what I would call interdependent, where you are sufficiently strong in Christ on your own, but you, as a matter of decision and spiritual discipline, interdepend your life with others to be the body of Christ and live in community. But that's not a codependent scenario. Nor are you fiercely independent. You are interdependent by choice and by obedience to Jesus. Anyway, play with that in your mind if you want to. Um, what's going to happen, though, is fully devoted obedience to Jesus, what I would call Christ centered living, is going to start rising. It's going to start rising because the world's so crazy that it's pushing us who know Jesus but have not been fully devoted. It's pushing us closer to him, where we need him more. We want to be with him more. I know that my appetite to be alone with God is exponentially higher than it's ever been because it's the only place I can find real shalom, real peace. It's the only place I can find a sense of direction for my life or for the church that I lead. And so uh, I'm convinced that Christ-centered, fully devoted Jesus living is going to rise and become the attractive, powerful life alternative that it actually is. The last thing is that the church will return to its eternal mission rather than trying to be culturally popular, rather than trying to be the cool church, rather than trying to um, attract the consumer culture and also be uh, an organization of power and resources and political influence in our country. It's going to return to what Jesus had in mind, which is the redemption and restoration of all things and not using human, political, powerful, economic resources to do so, but doing so by the power of God and by the sacrifice of followers of Jesus. So I think that's all there. So to get there for that to really happen, I think there are three questions we need to wrestle with and be able to answer loud and clear for the culture in order to have the impact that this season has set up for us. So here we go. I'm going to give you the three questions and then we'll walk through them one at a time. Question number one is, and I think the culture is asking this, who is God and what is the church? That's a compound question. What do they call that? A two-parted question, whatever. Um, So that's the first question. You know, we need to be able to reveal to the culture, to the world, who is God and what is the church? The second question is, is the church an extension of the culture of military, economic, and political power? In other words, is the church also about economic, political, and military power? Is it, is it powering up like the world does, or is it something different? And then third, what does it mean to be fully human in a world that is obsessed with personal and political power? How can we, we need to be able to demonstrate and describe what it is to be a fully human person in a world obsessed with political and personal power. Those are the three questions. Let's walk through those fairly quickly. I'm going to do two of them. Then I'll break for our show and tell portion of our show. And then I'll do the third one. So uh, let's get started. Uh, The first question is, is, uh, what is, who is God and what is the church? So, um, you know, is God as the world is in turmoil, people start looking to the eternal. Is there really a God? If so, what's he up to and why is he letting all this take place? And where's all this going? Is this the end of all times? Is this, you know, what, what's going on? Is there a God who's superintending over all of this? And the question of who is God is a is an incredible opportunity for us to answer that question by pointing to the cross. Um, Hebrews one says that in former times God spoke to us in various means and in various ways through the prophets, but now He has spoken to us through His Son, who is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. And so we need to be able to reveal to people, encourage them to understand who God is, that He is not the Military power God. He is not the um, personal power God. He's not the resource hoarding God who is so insecure and egotistical that he needs everybody to behave a certain way to please him, but uh, quite the opposite that he is the God of great sacrificial love, that he is the God who not only went to the cross to redeem his rebellious creation but that the cross itself reveals who God is, that he is the self-sacrificing, the enemy-loving God. Philippians 2, verse 6 through 8, I just can't get out of this passage in this season of time in my life. and um, The the passage is is really important. In fact, uh, I want to make sure I get it right and read it to you. It says, Jesus... Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so this is God. This is the revelation of God that he is the God who created everything with beauty, power, kindness, um, creativity, release that creation to have even the right and the freedom to rebel against its creator if it decided to do so, which it immediately did. But God, because he is God, humbles himself and empties himself and climbs back into his creation to redeem it and to restore it. This not only is what God did, this is in fact who God is. Is so then the question of who is the church? What is what is the church? Well, the church is the body of Jesus. You don't go to church. This is the great opportunity in front of us is to relearn this. You don't go to church. You don't attend a church. If you're a blood bought son or daughter of God, who is connected, restored to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you are the church. Uh, you are the gathered. Together, called out ones who, who've been redeemed by Jesus. And as His body, we actually are the physical presence of Jesus in this fallen world. And so uh, the cross also informs how we continue to be His body. Jesus offered His body for the redemption of all things, and He continues to do so through you and I. Paul would say, that we complete in our flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Jesus. In other words, the suffering of Jesus continues for the redemption of his enemies. And that suffering takes place and is demonstrated on the earth through his physical body, which is the church, you and me. What's cool about this is we have this now reality that we live in, where we live in the sacred space of good friday and easter at the same time as you watch jesus go through good friday where he is suffered beaten betrayed and crucified then that dark dark you know couple of days and then the resurrection easter where he rises again overcomes everything through the resurrection and now we his body we live in good friday the suffering of jesus and the power of his resurrection We live that concurrently. That is the space we live in right now. And while we do so faithfully to our Lord, we continue to be His body, which ongoingly is willing to suffer in this enemy love reality that we so love our enemies. We will pray for those who persecute us and bless those who curse us because of the willingness of Christ to let His body suffer for the redemption of all things, man, if that doesn't fire you up, um, that's just amazing to me. It's also a very sober reality. And what we do then as the people of God is the church, the church then becomes a, a, a body of a people who do not hoard political power, who do not demand their rights, but who give away power and resources in this fallen world, power, power, And resources are used to the advantage of the powerful and the resourced. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus demonstrates that is the heart of God to be the powerful and resourced king of all creation who utilizes his power and resources for the redemption of those who have neither power nor resource. And this becomes the mission of the church to continue to do that. So who is God? He is the enemy lover, the sacrificial giver. What is the church? It is the body of Jesus lived out in real time through our lives as the people of God, continuing his suffering, redemption, and resurrection power in real time. That is awesome. And if we can be those people and communicate that gospel and that church to our culture, the opportunity in front of us is unreal. The second question is really an extension of that conversation. Is the church an extension of the American culture, i.e. a culture of consumption and power and resources and demanding our rights. And this is where the conversation of Sunday gatherings is so uh, vividly a demonstration of this question. Should the church demand its right to assemble as the Constitution allows? Or should the church uh, obey its government officials and sacrifice its rights, subjugate its rights for a higher purpose. So uh, this is a big, big question. And I believe that in this cultural moment, if we are seen as a church that demands that we get our rights and we demand that um, our power and resources be honored and restored, we will miss the opportunity to reflect Jesus in this moment. Now, uh, this is understood in the context of this. The church is not being uniquely singled out in our current world. As I mentioned, you can't go to a professional sporting event. You can't go to a concert. Um, All you can do in a big crowd is um, what they would call peacefully protesting. You can burn down buildings and be an idiot Um, that's a different conversation, but churches are not being singled out as the one group of people who cannot gather sports fans, cannot gather, um, lots of groups, cannot gather weddings, funerals. And so, uh, until the church is singled out, it does not need to have a rights conversation in my view, but instead we have this opportunity to demonstrate that there is no political system Uh, Because just uh, FYI, the church is all over the world, not just in America, and it is flourishing in every possible political environment. The church is designed by God to thrive in communism, socialism, capitalism, democracy, monarchy. You can't create a political system that can stop the church from thriving. And so the opportunity in front of us is to demonstrate the ability to be the people of God, And to do the mission of Jesus in any political environment. That should be the focus of the church, in my view, when it comes to the culture of power and consumption. We don't need either to be able to be the people of God. And instead, we should become obsessed with the redemptive mission of Jesus and seek to accomplish that mission in any political structure. Now, let's take a break. Um, We're two thirds done. I'll do a little show and tell with you, and then uh, we'll finish the third question. So my uh, show and tell item today is something I have um, I had fallen in love with uh, a couple years ago when I bought it, and then I set it aside, and now I'm back to it and I'm back in love with it again. It is, I'm going to say, it is three and a half inches uh, wide. And I'm gonna say it is um maybe eight or nine inches tall. It's very thin, less than a half inch thick. It is black around the edges, and it is a electric device, battery powered device, and when you push the and, and what's cool, I'm gonna just tell you it's a it's a Kindle paper white. And when it's turned off, it has a black and white image on the screen that is not using battery power, and it's super cool. It looks like a black and white photograph. And then um, it has all my books on it. I have tons of books in my office, but I have even more than that on my now digital library. And uh, what it does is it, it, it looks like the page of a book. That's why I like it so much. You can highlight, you can enter notes, you can bookmark pages. I've been a big fan of digital reading for a long time because you can um, highlight stuff and then go back and just read only your highlights. You can bookmark pages. When I was in my master's program, this came in very handy for both uh, open book tests and for paper writing. Anyway, I love my Kindle Paperwhite. It is waterproof, great at the beach, great anywhere. It actually fits in the back pocket of a pair of Levi's, so it's easy to get around. takes up no room in a duffel bag either or whatever. And I love it. I'll put a picture of this on our Instagram account and on our blog, and you'll be able to look at that. But I'm a huge fan. So that's the Kindle Paperwhite. And this is not an ad. I don't get paid by Kindle to tell you about it. I've just been a big, big fan of it. All right. Uh, Let's take a commercial break, and then we will be right back.
1: Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com, where you can learn more about the Father-Son Duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation.
0: All right, welcome back. Thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for sharing uh, episodes that are meaningful to you with a friend. Thanks for those of you who are our patrons uh, who support monthly this ministry, and we are really grateful. And uh, let's get into our third question. So, the third question is what does it mean to be fully human? Uh, the church has an incredible opportunity. Christians and churches, the people of God, have a a golden opportunity to demonstrate what it means to be fully human in a world that is so darkly fallen, so consumer-oriented, so obsessed with personal and political power. And so what does it look like to be a, full, a fully human person? Now, I'm going to go back to the Philippians 2, 6 through 8 passage, because this is where I think a cool thing occurs there. Remember, I Read it to you that uh, Jesus, because he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, and here's what he did being made in human likeness. I believe that sentence right there is a reference to the original Adam. So, God creates Adam and Eve, he creates them in his image, and he places them in paradise. And the original intent is that they would be in constant, joyful, beautiful relationship with each other and with God, and that they would uh, bear his image. That is not just, um, I have no idea what God looks like. He chose these human bodies, but, but that they would be image bearers in his personality, his temperament, his passions, his vision, his mission. And yet he gives them the freedom to choose for themselves whether they will be obedient or disobedient, whether they will um, establish patterns in their lives of feeding on the goodness of God and his great relationship, or whether they will seek satisfaction of their desires in another way. As it refers to Philippians two, six through eight, Jesus comes and he takes the nature of human likeness to become what the Bible will occasionally call the second Adam in the first Adam. Adam, we are created in God's image, and we destroy it all, and sin enters the world. And now the world is going from order to chaos, and it is tainted. It is it is in a corrosive reality. But the second Adam comes, and just as sin entered the world through the first Adam, redemption and restoration and renewal enter the world through the second Adam. And so Jesus demonstrates for us what God had in mind when he created humans. Jesus shows us what it's like to be fully human. And what is it like to be fully human? Is it to seek political power? Is it to gather and hoard resources? Is it about accumulation of wealth? Is it about controlling the environments around you? Is it about being uh, powerful or wealthy or uh, seeking your own And it turns out that Jesus demonstrates full humanity by seeking primarily a connection to his God. He spends uh, all of his focus, energy, and time on walking with the Father. And then he humbles himself and becomes obedient as a servant. He considers himself a servant to other human beings. In fact, he considers himself a servant to his enemies. And so he empties himself. What does it mean to be fully human in a world that is obsessed with political and personal power and resources? It is to become like Jesus, uh, conformed to the image of Jesus, informed by the cross. And I like this new word I've discovered, cruciform, to have our lives formed by the cross. So it's that we are people who self-empty for the sake of others, who are inspired by an enemy love, as God is, and who surrender our power for the redemption of all things, who rather than demanding for our rights, will subjugate our rights at great personal cost so that the redemptive mission of God might gain traction and power in the lives of others. So what does it mean to be fully human in a world obsessed with possessions and power? It is to be like Jesus. It is to be a lover of God, is to be the, the greatest commandment, as Jesus taught, to love God with everything you've got, your mind, your heart, your soul, your body, your intellect, your imagination, your resources, your power. And it is to love your neighbor just like you love yourself. unless lest you think your neighbor is just your oikos, which we talk a lot about, these people God has put on the front row of your lives who are in your neighborhood, in your workplace. If, in case you think your neighbor is just people you like who are like you, Jesus then told the story of the good Samaritan, which was an absolute mind blower to the Jews, that a Samaritan would be an example of a good neighbor. Basically, Jesus would say, who's my neighbor? Whoever's right in front of you or around you or within your reach. So uh, if we can, here's, I'm going to wrap this up right now. The opportunity is so prime for us to communicate and reveal who God is, that he is the, he is the self emptying enemy loving God and that his church is the body of Jesus, willing to walk in suffering of Good Friday and resurrection power so that all things can be redeemed and restored, that people can find a pathway to reconnecting with God, to being unenslaved by their addictions and their flesh, that they can go from death to life. That's what the church is. And if we can then, Um, demonstrate the operation of the church that is not only um, not leveraging power and resources for our own good, but subjugating our rights for the sake of a greater mission. And then if we can become individual Christians who demonstrate what it is to be fully human in a world obsessed with power and resources, Man, we have an opportunity to change the world. Now, as you listen to all that, you might find yourself right where I find myself. I am at the same time incredibly compelled by this entire conversation. I am so hungry to be like Jesus. I'm so desirous to be a person who's not obsessed with power and resources and my own advantage but instead to be an enemy lover and to be a sacrificer for others. And man, to fight my flesh is so stinking hard. So at the same time, I am inspired by all of this and confronted with my lack of capacity to actually do it, which brings us right where we belong, in utter dependence upon God, His Word, and the power of His Holy Spirit in us that we can be in Christ, participating in the divine nature so that Christ can live through us. My life verse, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ lives in me. And this life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. May the Lord help us to be full of his spirit walking by the power of his spirit and becoming like Jesus, man, the best is yet to come. No matter what's coming politically in our nation, no matter what's coming economically in our nation, no matter what's coming culturally and socially in our nation, if we are the people of God, the best is yet to come. I hope that encourages you and you hold on to that. Hey, like always, thanks for listening. Next week, John will be back with me. And it'll be Jim and John. So thanks for uh, walking this little journey of thoughts with me. Uh, Email us, info at jimandjohn.com. No H in the John. Read our blog. I posted some blogs recently. You can go to jimandjohn.com. And follow us on Instagram uh, where you can check out stuff there as well. Um, Hey, I love you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.